Hi there. Yeah. Sarah Pasha, in very, very good hands. This is Caroline, who is... Um, have you ever listened to the She Done It podcast? I'm arriving at Agatha Christie's home, Greenway. I've wanted to visit for a long time, and last year I finally got the opportunity. It's a beautiful September day, and the sun is peeking through the clouds as I step into the hallway. Agatha first encountered this Georgian manor house on the banks of the River Dart in Devon as a child, when her mother took her along while she paid a social call on its then-owners. In 1938, after nearly two decades of literary success, the author purchased it and the surrounding 33-acre estate for what she considered the bargain price of £6,000, around £300,000 today. Over the following decades, it became a treasured home for Agatha and her extended family, as well as inspiring the locations of several of her novels. And now, you're going to come with me as I look around. I do. Yeah. Um, so this is this is the main entrance hall, right? So you come in the front door. This yeah. Is what, what you see, and it's uh, Agatha's uh, great grandparents mm-hmm. who were American, and they came over back to the UK, and they had the house in Torquay, Ashfield, which was the family home, of course, and that's where Agatha, two generations down, that's where Agatha was born. <laughs> Hence the uh, connection. We got. Uh, Madge, which is Agatha's uh, sister, mm-hmm. and then her brother, Monty. This is Clive, by the way. Greenway is now looked after by the National Trust, and he's one of the volunteers here, and he offered to show us around. My friend Elizabeth, who was visiting from America at the time, also joined me in going round the house, so you might hear from her occasionally too. Yes, so, uh, just move here. I keep one eye on the door. Yeah, of course. With uh, Agatha, aged four, with her doll Rosie, and then we got Rosie here on oh, the chair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, I wasn't around, but uh, allegedly when the uh, National Trust first took over, they found the doll wrapped up in storage upstairs somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah. And then there's Agatha's um, round the corner here, her cousin, cousin Jack. That piano you can hear playing in the background is Agatha's piano, and it's in the drawing room just off the hall, which is where we're going next. The National Trust leaves the piano open for visitors to have a go on, if they like. This room is richly furnished and clustered with beautiful objects, but it's also cosy. The sofas are squashy and look like the perfect place to nestle in by the fire and get lost in a book for a few hours. Which is exactly what Agatha intended when she arranged them like this, I think. So, collections of uh, pottery. And then we come through here. Take a picture of Rosie. So many things. We were very fortunate in the layout of the drawing room as we've got photographs. Right, of uh, course. Agatha sitting at one of these sofas here. Thank you. And we were able to lay out all the things on the ornaments exactly exactly as Agatha had it. And when the house was gifted to the National Trust, all the things were as well? Yeah, well, it was always, always Agatha's intention that it came to the National Trust. Mm-hmm. So Agatha died in 1976. Um, 
but in the meantime, uh, she handed uh, Agatha handed it the, the property over to her daughter Rosalind and her husband, um, which was the arrangement then up, up until their death. And mm-hmm. um, Rosalind died two thousand and four, and her husband two thousand five. And it was handed over to the National Trust. Everything, the house, the contents. Right. You know, so it all came in one exception. After a lot of restoration work, the house was finally open to the public in 2009. Also in here we've got uh, Agatha's uh, uh, grand piano. Mm. She was a, an accomplished pianist, but she didn't like um, playing to people other than her husband. She was a bit shy. In fact, she was more than a bit shy. It was this paralysing fear of playing in front of other people that led Agatha, at the age of 17, to abandon her teenage ambitions of becoming a concert pianist. Her teacher felt that she had the talent and, with the right training, could have done well, but that she didn't have the temperament for a life of public performance. She continued to enjoy music for the rest of her life, though, hence the presence of a baby grand piano here. There are lots of little glimpses of Agatha's personality around this house. As we move towards the kitchen, Clive points one of them out. Then here we've got Agatha's CBE. Agatha was a very private and shy person. She kept that all closed up behind the the crockery (laughs) in here. So (laughs) in deference to that, to an extent, the National Trust, at least they brought it forward and opened it up so you can see it. But she certainly liked China. (laughs) <laughs> I think we can say. Uh, yeah. Look at all this. Like, there's not even a house. Just... Why are the shells on the bin? I don't know. Yeah. A... a CBE is an honour awarded by the reigning monarch of the United Kingdom, and Agatha received hers in the 1956 New Year's Honours list. The actual award is a medal in a box, and she kept it stuffed in the back of this kitchen cabinet, which is absolutely full to the brim with china. And I mean full. There are plates stacked right up to the very top, to the point where you would really struggle to get one out. She was a very keen collector of ceramics, and I suppose at a certain point you just run out of room to put it all. But lest we forget that Greenway is a country house, not just a cosy family-sized home, there's a little remnant of that Downton Abbey upstairs-downstairs life on display as we make our way towards the stairs. The bells here... Um, they were connected to each room, so if the, the member of the household they wanted a servant or something, they'd pull the cord and it would ring a bell. Now, each bell has got a different note, so the members of staff, which would be in the kitchen area, they would know by the, the, the note of the bell which room that they've got to go to. Yeah, so. oh, very musical. <laughs> no tone deaf servants. Upstairs, there are lots of souvenirs and pieces from Agatha and her archaeologist husband Max's travels in the Middle East. Again, sort of uh, items of military. This, uh, Damascus chest, which was bought by Agatha and her husband from Damascus, because they had used to have a house in Damascus. Um, Circa 1900, inlaid with uh, shell and bone. But it wasn't just artefacts from their travels that they installed at Greenway. The small bed. People people often ask for why the small bed. 
and it's a campaign bed that all comes apart. And at, uh, Max, her husband, used to take with him on his archaeological digs. Found it particularly comfortable. So when they used to come to State Greenway, he would break his own bed with him. <laughs> this, of course, is in Agatha's bedroom. And just off her bedroom is one of the most popular areas of the house for visitors, according to Clive. And this is her, her, her wardrobe? This is her wardrobe, yes. Um, all the clothes are uh, Agatha's, or some of them are um, Rosalind's. Fur coats there, of course, from a different era now. It was fairly tidy in there, of course, because the National Trust curators have put everything to rights. But I don't think I've ever seen a wardrobe so absolutely stuffed with items. Agatha, and then her daughter Rosalind, certainly like to have plenty of options when getting dressed in the morning. But we can't linger in here too long. There's so much more to see. This room here is, um, we call it a fax room, only because uh, Rosalind and her husband used to use this, and it's got a fax machine in right. back, back in the days. This is a small office, squeezed in between two of the upstairs bedrooms. But the fax machine is not all it contains. There's a full set of Agatha Christie first editions, all hardbacks with their dust jackets, and... This was a, a script when they did mm. Dead Man's Folly in the mm-hmm. building here. That's a, a, a script uh, signed by uh, Suchet. Mm. They only filmed about two or three sets, you know, scenes. Right, OK. Mm. But you've never seen so much equipment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> trucks, you know, um, catering trucks. And yeah. Yeah. The novel Dead Man's Folly was first published in 1956, and it's one of several Agatha Christie books to feature a house heavily based on Greenway. The others, in case you're interested, are Five Little Pigs, Ordeal by Innocence, and Towards Zero. In Dead Man's Folly, Greenway becomes Nass House, the country estate to which Hercule Poirot is summoned by his friend Ariadne Oliver, so that he can assist with a murder hunt she is organising at the summer fete. Like Greenway, Nas House is also an elegant white-painted mansion overlooking a river, the fictional River Helm in this case. The Greenway Boathouse down on the river also features heavily in the story. A film adaptation was made in 1986 starring Peter Ustinov, but that was shot at a different location. When it came to be done for television, for the Agatha Christie's Poirot series, the producers decided to use the authentic location and shot it at Greenway. The filming was done in 2013, and it was actually the last episode of the entire series to be filmed, although when it aired later that year, it wasn't the last to be shown. But I imagine it felt fitting for the cast and crew, many of whom had been working on the show since the late 1980s, to finish here at Agatha Christie's own house. After the break, the Americans come to Greenway. In History's Secret Heroes, Helena Bonham Carter shines a light on extraordinary stories from World War II. This is a series that tells the tales from the Second World War that are unjustly less well-known than the oft-repeated histories of that time. Personally, I tend to default to the position that military history, or the history of wars as it is usually told, is just not for me. But diving into this series has shown me that I can be wrong about that, and that maybe I just haven't been experiencing the right sort of history. 
The brand new second series of History's Secret Heroes is out now, and it's absolutely full of brilliant episodes that had me gripped from start to finish. In it, we learn how a single woman, Christine Granville, skied into occupied Poland and gathered essential intelligence for the Allies, which changed the course of the war. We also look at how Raymond Gurem used his circus skills to break in and out of a Nazi internment camp to sneak in food and supplies for his family, and how a young Filipino woman named Josefina Guerrero took advantage of her health condition to join the resistance and become one of the most consequential spies of World War II. I'm especially drawn to stories about code-breaking, as I love puzzles, and to me it often feels like the real-life counterpart to solving a mystery. I loved the episode called The Unbreakable Navajo Code, about a group of Native American soldiers who devised a code for the Allies' use, and I also really enjoyed the one about Emily Anderson, an Irish cryptanalyst who worked both at Bletchley Park in the UK and then in Cairo to decrypt vital intelligence. Helena Bonham Carter voices all of these episodes in a way that makes you feel like they're just being whispered directly into your ear by someone who really knows how to tell a dramatic tale to full effect. There are experts interviewed, but also friends, family members and witnesses, so each story feels personal and intimate as well as historically significant. Episodes will be released on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. But if you're in the UK, you can listen to the full series now, first on BBC Sounds. Agatha Christie bought Greenway, a house that she described in her autobiography as the most perfect of the various properties on the dart, in 1938. She had just finished remodelling it, adding bathrooms and demolishing the Victorian wing that had been added to the original Georgian structure, when the Second World War began the following autumn. Greenway was in a rural part of the country, so Agatha started off by taking in friends' children to keep them safe from bombing raids in cities, while Max joined the local home guard. Agatha also refreshed her dispensary training at the hospital in Torquay, so she was once again qualified to volunteer making up medicines, as she had during the First World War. Then air raids began in Devon, with boats on the River Dart being attacked from the air, perhaps because of the proximity of the big naval college at Dartmouth. The children were quickly sent back to their homes, and Agatha and Max moved into one of their London houses, where they felt they could be more active with war work. Greenway was first used by evacuees from London, and then was requisitioned by the Admiralty, for use by the American Navy and Coast Guard. This meant Agatha couldn't come back here until after the war. Overall, Agatha felt that the Americans stationed here took very good care of her house. She had expected that it would be bombed to ruins in the raids, and so anything better than that was a bonus. The Americans did leave her two mementos of their stay, though. They added 14 toilets in the larder, which she had great difficulty in persuading the Admiralty to remove afterwards, and they also partly redecorated one of the downstairs rooms. During the Second World War... The uh, house was uh, requisitioned by the American Navy in preparation for D-Day. It was occupied by the 10th flotilla of landing craft. Um, The artist was uh, Lieutenant Marshal Lee, who was a landing craft commander. And there's one of his land... I I think it was... 323, I think that was the one he he, uh, used. But it depicts his exploits in the Navy during the Second World War. Finishing up over there at Dartmouth and Greenway House at the top of the hill. 
Well, he's painted the house with too many windows. Yes. <laughs> it's not Come quite on. that wide, is it? <laughs> the uh, young lady and the cherubs, we're not sure where it fits. <laughs> Just but that was, the end that, of the journey. <laughs> that was painted after um, Lieutenant Lee left. Oh. The young lady that Clive referred to there is a scantily clad pin-up style picture of a woman surrounded by cherubs. The commander of the men stationed at Greenway wrote to Agatha at the end of the war and offered to repaint the room and restore it to its original state, but she declined. She later described the mural as a war memorial and was proud to show it and the house to any relatives of American servicemen who visited in later years. This mural is in a room that the family used as a kind of library, and this is probably my favourite part of Greenway, not least because it offers a chance to poke around Agatha Christie's book collection. All the books here would be Agatha's reading. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of hers, her books here in different languages. Um, then we've got here six books under the name Mary Westmacott. Now this is Agatha but they're romantic novels. So she only got to write six. So <laughs> probably preferred her uh, crime ones. We've got some other crime writers here as well, tied up in tinsel yes, uh, as Contemporaries, Naomi. yeah, there's yeah. Quite, quite a few of those, yeah. Up here also we've got this collection, the Greenway collection of uh, Agatha's books. Is it 32, is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the favourite books um, uh, by Agatha, of Rosalind, her daughter. Right. And these were Rosalind's favourite, so she commissioned this set. Reluctantly, we're now leaving the library and moving into the dining room, which is a huge and impressive room with a massive table laden with fancy china and silver. But before we get to that, there's something by the door that Clive wants to show us. One of your colleagues was telling us about the cobra with the, the cork on its fangs. Yes. <laughs> yes, Agatha um, always had the cork on it used to snag her stockings as she walked past so she could. <laughs> but you know people nick the cork oh, oh. so sometimes the cork's missing <laughs> so we have to put another one the cobra is a knee-high silver ornament that Agatha seemed to use as a doorstop and it has a sharp tongue that sticks a few inches out of its mouth clearly this was a hazard for a lady's stockings so she solved this problem in a highly practical way by putting a wine cork on the end of the tongue This is one of the fun things about visiting the house. It is very much as Agatha left it, full of her things and her idiosyncratic ways of dealing with the small irritations of daily life. I'm not quite sure why people like to pinch this cork particularly as a memento of their visit to Greenway, but there's no accounting for taste. On the dining table is another example of Agatha's personal tastes. A small jug by the place where she used to sit. In this, she used to have her favourite mealtime beverage, which was, surprisingly enough, cream. She didn't like to drink alcohol, but she really, really liked cream. Indeed, she says in her autobiography that there is no doubt about it, my favourite thing is, and probably always will be, cream. She grew up not far from Greenway, in Torquay, in a county that is well known for its thick, luscious cream, and she seemingly never lost her taste for it. Sometimes, as a concession to health, she would drink it diluted with one part milk, but she never gave it up entirely. The dining room is also a good place from which to appreciate the changes that Agatha made to the house when she first bought it, Clive says. On this side of the 
the house on the other, between, behind these doors was a, an extension, a Victorian extension, which didn't really fit the, the architecture of the house. So when Agatha came, eventually she had it pulled down. One of the reasons she liked to have it down was because it had a snooker table in. And she used to be annoyed when they would sat for dinner and the, the men used to get up and go into the snooker. <laughs> and, uh, she didn't like that, so... She should have gotten rid of the table. Yeah. You know, you don't have to, like, get rid of the whole section of the house. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're, we're left with these two curved doors. A lot of people remark on these curved doors. But they're just cupboards now. The curved doors certainly are very impressive, on either side of a feature alcove in the wall. It does look like if you go through them, you'll be going into yet another big room. But they are now, as Clive says, just cupboards for storing yet more of Agatha's endless china collection. And that brings us to the end of our tour. I hope you've enjoyed this audio glimpse inside Agatha Christie's house and all the traces of her life and personality that are still present at Greenway. Unfortunately, Elizabeth and I can't take you with us as we head to the tea shop to eat scones or stroll about the gardens overlooking the river. So you'll just have to imagine what that part is like. I think Agatha Christie would approve of the amount of cream we're going to consume, though. This episode of She Done It was written and hosted by me, Caroline Crampton. Special thanks to Clive and everyone at the National Trust for making me and my microphone welcome at Greenway and to Sarah Thrift for arranging it all. I'm also grateful to my friend Elizabeth Minkle, who spent the afternoon doing this even though she has only read one Christie novel in her whole life. She has her own podcast, Fansplaining, which I highly recommend. You can find links to all the books mentioned and other information about this episode at shedoneitshow.com slash athomewithagathachristie. I publish transcripts of every episode, including this one. Find them all at shedoneitshow.com slash transcripts. If you'd like to hear the complete, unedited audio of my tour around Greenway, that will be released as a bonus episode for members of the She Done It Book Club very soon. Join now at shedoneitbookclub.com slash join and get access to this and three years' worth of extra podcast episodes. She Done It is edited by Ewan McAleese. Production assistance from Leandra Griffith. Member support for the She Done It Book Club from Connor McLaughlin. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.